Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, Divine Miss C. And welcome to my world, the world of Lori Zook. I'm doing a special show today, one of my Masters and Legend shows, and I have a very special guest, the legendary Irv Kraka. Irv was a drummer, and he's the founder of Music Minus One. And if you don't know what Music Minus One is, stay tuned, and you're going to learn more about it. Irv, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much. Well, let's start at the very beginning, because you're a musician yourself. Did you cr- come from a musical family? No, I was. I was I, my uncle was a violinist, but he's the only relative I had who was advanced musically. All right, what made you fall in love with the drums? You were a drummer, correct? Well, a bit of background very quickly. I was born in 1926. I'm approaching my 90th birthday. It was in uh, 13 years later, 1939, that I took up the drums at the age of 13 and a half, approximately. I was, uh, lessons were 25 cents each, believe it or not, for wow. an hour, 40-minute lessons. And I just fell in love with the drums. It was the beginning of the era. It was maybe three years into the era of the big bands. And, of course, Gene Krupa was my, my idol, so to speak. I like big band music, and... Uh, it was all I was hearing at the time, and ultimately I came to hear all these big bands in New York City. They were performing at initially the Paramount. My brother took me to that. He was three years my senior, and uh, we lived in New York City. We took the subway uptown to 42nd Street to the Paramount, saw the shows, and there was films in between, and then I would often sit for a second show because it was a one-hour show. And I was like... 25 to 50 feet from the orchestra, they rose out of the pit. It was a, it was a marvelous, ingraining experience for me to see these big bands at so close up. I knew all the players in the, in the orchestras. And of course, I saw Krupa there and ultimately Torsi with uh, Buddy Rich and so forth. I saw every major band of the time. Okay, now, big band was your, was your favorite. Is that what you focused on as a drummer or did you also play other types of music? I... I I endeavored to play big band music, but uh, usually you couldn't assemble a big band uh, at at 13 or 14, so I just played for my own interest and amusement in my home with a record player or the radio and played along with the radio. It defined itself to to when I was about 17. I started going to sessions at NOLA Studios in New York, which is a, a rental facility used by all the bands and all the embryonic musicians and uh We'd rent the room for, I don't know, it might be $3 an hour or less than that. And uh, we'd perform. They had a piano in the room and usually a bass drum, but if not a bass drum, I'd lug my, my, whole, my whole kid up to, this, up to uh, NOLA's and work there that way. So you're, you're, you really didn't have a formal education, so to speak. Your, your education was reality of, of playing with these people. Yeah, well, to, to, uh, to digress a bit or just to embellish that, I did study classical percussion with Billy Gladstone, who was the foremost classical percussionist in the world at the time. He was the, the featured uh, soloist for the Radio City Music Hall Orchestra when they had a full orchestra and had five shows a day. I studied with him for about half a year. 
Shelley Mann was his student at the time. I remember he mentioned how his student Shelley Mann was so proficient. I could, from what I heard later, I could understand why. Uh, so I, I had that instruction, and my initial instruction was from a, a local teacher who was getting 25 cents a, a lesson, and uh, told me for about half a year, with rudiments, the drum rudiments, and basic material on the drum set, that ultimately uh, you, you fell away from that, learned what was being done in terms of using brushes and what you have to do with a bandit, which is keep, it, keep time very critically, keep time steady, and so forth. Right. Now, in big band, let me ask you about that. You're talking about keeping time because you are the time setter as, as the percussionist. Um, in big band, do you, did you find that the tempo would, would change frequently throughout a song? No, no. The purpose, of, <laughs> the purpose of the music was not to change tempo. If it did, <laughs> all, all, all hell would fall on the drummer. I mean, there, there was a bass player and a guitarist, usually in a big band, and they all were working in unison and in lockstep, so to speak, that they maintained a very steady time. Uh, I don't think it drifted around. I w- it, would, it would lead everyone astray. Right. Sometimes a, a soloist in the trumpet section or the alto section or the sax section, rather, would, would stand up and play, and they might pick up the tempo again, but it was up to the rhythm section to bring it back down by st- staying in the groove they just set not to follow the soloist into another area. Right, so you were the glue that kept everything together. It's a way of looking at it, yes. Right. Let's talk a bit about uh, some of the musicians that you've played with or bands that you've played with. Well, it's mainly mainly teenagers of my own age, uh, and uh, I, I, I once auditioned for George Bruni's uh, the Condon Band group at, at Brian's. I didn't make the cut. He felt I was too much in a baby Dodge mold, which was uh, Dodge had come to New York, and the uh, I think when I was about seventeen, he played at the Stuyvesant Casino for one year with Bunk Johnson, and I was there every night, and I was very influenced by what I was seeing, and he was my idol. He was with the Hot Seven, of course, with Armstrong's Hot Seven, and I I gravitated back from big band music to earlier jazz, and. Uh, I, I, the Dixieland jazz didn't, didn't intrigue me as much as the original New Orleans sound, and of course the King Oliver band, and the Dodd, the Dodge Brothers, and that sort of music was, was my f- favorite in music at the time. So I, I was really, uh, that, uh, you might call that the real jazz era, but uh, that, that's up to how somebody would look at, at music in, in, in a sense. Okay. Now talk a little bit about who your idols were. Who, who, did, who did you love? Well, uh, idols, I guess it was primarily Dodge, Zooty Singleton, uh, ultimately Sidney Catlett, I felt, was the best drummer in all of jazz. Incredible timekeeping, very, very swift on his feet. He was just he literally floated. Uh, Kansas Fields was in the service at the time. I heard him at Town Hall several times with the Condon Group. And uh, Dave Tuff, of course, uh, who ended up playing at, at Condon's after his stay with the Artie Shaw band at one point. Uh, these are all guys who were playing in front of me. I was seeing a different big band every week. Sonny Greer with, with the Ellington band appeared at the Paramount for two weeks. And I was there uh, two or three times to hear that band. It was an incredible, it was a, a performance that was embellished by the appearance of Peg Leg Bates, who was a one-legged dancer of incredible skills. Buck and Bubbles, who were a piano and, and dance team that had gone back to the earliest days of jazz. Lena Horn was on the same bill. 
it was incredible that for the price of admission to the theater, you saw the the Yellington Band for about an hour and 15 minutes with these extremely exquisite talents coming out and performing for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Right. Big different in pricing nowadays when you go to a concert with, with famous people, right? I'm sorry? Uh, there's a big difference in pricing now when you go out to see a band. Oh, it's another world. It's another world. If you can, if you can imagine, I, I recently wrote a biography of myself for my own industry, and, and I mentioned that the, the lessons were 25 cents, and that, that one line at the beginning of the biography stopped everybody, and I got letters from all around the world saying, 25 cents? Are you sure? I remember it was a quarter. Right. You know, today, a, a lesson can be $20 with a teacher. Oh, a lot more than that. I can tell you that. A lot more than that, uh, especially for a good teacher. I, I want to talk, you were mentioning there were different, you know, different types of jazz. What do you think of music today in contrast with what we call the real jazz era back in, say, the 30s and 40s? Well, the music I'm talking about is the early, early jazz and then, of course, the big band era. But music today is derived from uh, rock and roll and uh, what followed after that. It's, it's, it's something I don't listen to and I'm too bad for me, but it's not not something I, I at all have any interest in whatsoever. Uh, uh, to compare it with earlier music, it's, it's just it's a one and two chords. It's very it's very primitive music in a sense. I I came to enjoy the Beatles about two years after their appearance, and then I really became great fans of them because I thought they were extremely creative. John Lennon and uh, was just a, and McCartney was uh, just great composers. They were writing classic songs and I'd become familiar with the classic songs Berlin Porter Harold Arlen the Gershwin Brothers uh, this this was the stuff of what I I love to listen to and along come this English group of young men and, and they're producing standards literally standards of a diff- different type of music but very listenable yeah I think the Beatles were very eclectic as far as their styles they, they kind of covered everything well, to an extent, I don't think they, they were into jazz, but they were drawing from a folk thing, whatever that was. Right, right. Music but today... They, they wrote, uh, you know, across the universe, typically one of their titles is such an exquisite, extended piece of music, it, it breaks the rules of regular uh, chorus lines, so to speak, and it's just, just so advanced. Right, I think I, I agree, especially in that time, it was very advanced, you know, and I'm going to agree with you also, music today, nowadays, I listen to, you know, some of these performers on TV or on the radio, and I have no interest, so I don't find that it catches my attention, I guess, it doesn't seem like there's any real talent, it's, all, it's turned more commercial, and I don't, it's almost like mass hypnosis. Well, there are composers in, in the area who are gifted and uh, they're, they're, they stand out and they're not doing the, the, the regular thing that groups are doing. I mean, One Direction, I don't even know what they sound like. I know they're, they're the leading group today. Right. But I, I, it all draws some of the other groups and I'm sure it's not much more distinctive. The public has, has to latch on to something and that's what they're fed all day long on their radios and that's what they listen to and come to appreciate and enjoy, but it's not comparable to the music I, I was brought up on, which is not a rap or a knocking the music, this music, or contemporary music. It just has no interest for me. Right, right. Well, you mentioned earlier you would actually play practice your drums 
to music, to records, I guess, right? I bought records, yeah, 78 RPM records, and I, I played along with the Sing Sing Sing, group of Sing Sing Sing, any of the other classic songs at the time, including the Ellington Band. Whenever I could get a record, I'd use my allowance, bought a record, sat <laughs> home and spent hours playing along with the band. Right, and it's interesting. I actually, you'll probably laugh at this, Irv, I actually have 78s from the original uh, Glenn Miller albums in, in the actual, you know, in the actual case. It's almost like a photo album. Um, my grandfather used to play saxophone back in the 40s in the big bands. So this was kind of handed down to me. And nowadays you can't even find a phonograph. Uh, it's very difficult to find one that plays 78 records. You can't. I don't think they're being made Maybe. by anyone. Today. Yeah. All right. Well, what I want to do, I, I do want to take a short break. We're going to go out with some of your music from Music Minus One. And when we come back, I want to talk about that. So stay with us. Fine. suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more. Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Three three two. 
and welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. My guest today, Irv Kraka. He is a legend. He is the founder of Music Minus One. And Irv, I want to start the segment off talking about Music Minus One because you're considered the father of karaoke. So tell me, how did Music Minus One come about? How did you get the idea of how to start and when? Well, my first recordings were 78 RPM recordings. It was actually music for listening purely that by Dick Hyman, who I was an early fan of because he made his first recording for me, recordings. And uh, it was on two, uh, a single 78 RPM. It was a, just shortly thereafter, very shortly, that the vinyl light record appeared, a 12-inch vinyl light record. And I immediately made the tra- transition to that and... I discussed with a buyer at uh, Sam Goody's, an old chain that was very famous in the record industry here, 50 years ago. I, I remember. Ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to Abner Levin, and I said, what in this new me- media of vinyl light would be a good thing to be recording? I- I'd done a lot of recordings on my own. Uh, I'd recorded a woodwind quintet, the new woodwind quintet, did about 10 long playing records with them and did about 10 or 15 organ recordings with... Uh, Clarence Waters at uh, Trinity Trinity College in Hartford, and it was at this point that Vinelight started pushing forward, and I asked him what in this new media would be valuable, and he said, well, consider Adapart, and I, I asked him, what is Adapart, and it turned out it was a German label that had been, been introduced by Columbia around 1949 on 78 RPM records, and it, it failed immediately because a 78 record would only play for three minutes at maximum. And if you played a Mozart quartet or Mozart piece of any sort, the, a movement would take 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. the new the new media of vinyl light, which allowed you up to 23 minutes aside, was a perfect medium for music minus one. And I just adapted to that media at the time, got involved by recording the Schubert Trout Quintet in all five permutations, minus the piano, viola, violin, cello, and bass. And uh, it went on from there. I, I, I distinctly remember leaving a movie house in, in the Bronx where I resided with my wife on a Sunday night and immediately went and picked up the Times. And there was a full-page article about my new company by Howard Taupin. And he, it just launched the company because... Uh, the Times was as powerful then as it is today. It had a better review section, in fact, at that time. And he raved on and on about this new company that had addressed the needs of musicians. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was talking to people from Time Magazine, Look Life, and uh, newspapers around the country were calling me about wanting to do articles on the company. So the Time, New York Times launched the company in a big way, and we started getting customers worldwide. Right now, your company revolutionized being able for a musician to be able to practice with the band without actually having the band there. That's right. That's right. I was the first one to provide them with with small band music, small combos, jazz groups. I recorded initially three albums with all star players: Oscar Pettiford. Uh, I'm just trying to think of all the players involved. Uh, Pettiford was the bass player. Milton was one of the bass players. Uh, Wilbur Ware was a, the third bass player. The drummers were Kenny Clark, O.C. Johnson, and uh, I can't remember the third player's name. The pianist was Nat Pierce, who was uh, an alter ego for Count Basie when 
Basie was not available. He arranged for the Basie band. He he was the and, and the and the guitars were Mundell Low and uh, uh, Rainey and uh, I'm trying to remember the third player. They, they're all Galbraith, Barry Galbraith. So uh, they were excellent groups, and and those were the most successful recordings I ever produced for MMO. They sold into the multi thousands. Were used by singers worldwide, and ultimately by players, musicians playing these standards. Uh, they would get eight songs on a record, and it was just a very successful series. Now, how the long? Company needs success at some point because yeah, <laughs> you, you you produce dogs or things that do not sell in any real relative way, and the cost initial costs are always the same. So these records helped help me stay in business for the first ten years of, of Music Minus One. Now, how long did it take from when you started Music Minus One to actually hit all over the world? I mean, we didn't have computers back then. There was no internet. So did it well, take a while? I, I had the feel to myself for maybe 35, 40 years. It wasn't until the 90s. I started in 1951 with the first MMOs, and it wasn't until the middle 90s that the, the companies like Hal Leonard, uh, Warner Brothers, Alfred Music, Carl Fisher started putting out participation records with the exact same concept, but it took them like the better part of 45 years to get there. Which which amazed me, but it just I guess they were busy making what they were making, which may have been much more successful to a bigger audience. Uh, MMO is still a, a, a selective audience. You have to play a musical instrument or sing to qualify. Right. In our time, singing has become you know American Idol has uh, revealed that there are million pe- millions of people who like to sing. So it was there was a market there, and I sort of was the first one on the scene to, to take advantage of it. All right. Well, when people think of karaoke, they tend to think of they're they're the singer, not so much uh, you know maybe to the public anyway for a musician to actually practice or learn to improvise you know with a band backup because it, it became very popular I think back in the nineties actually where you would buy the CD it would have the lead singer on it on one side maybe it would have five songs and then the next five were the same songs but they drop the vocals out and provide with the words exactly that's you know? what we were doing the Japanese started doing it in, in the 70s and they they came up with a word I'd never applied any word to it I call it rhythm rhythm backgrounds and unless there's that but they gave this the name of karaoke to it and they were very successful in Japan and ultimately, uh, they started infiltrating into the USA to where the word karaoke became an established word for people. Uh, I think it means in Japanese, uh, empty orchestra. It means it's, 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 it's lacking this lead, lead soloist. Gosh, I never did know what it meant. Now, you're based out of New York, correct? Yes, I'm in Westchester County, about 35 miles out of New York City itself. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the different divisions of your company because when I look through your site, you have pocket songs, inner city, classic jazz. What are the different divisions and, and how did they develop throughout time? Well, the inner city uh, and classic jazz were developed simultaneously with uh, Music Minus One in the, in the early 50s. I did three recordings with Dick Hyman of, of Profiles of Kurt Vile and Noel Coward and Vernon Duke. It was a planned 13 record series that never went beyond the three. He got into other things, I got into other things. Uh, that was the beginning of uh, a, a jazz concept, which I augmented over the years with, with more recordings. I, 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 even though 
I had music minds. It's my nature to be very prolific, and I went out and said, I can record jazz as well. <laughs> and I did, and I just got involved. I was living in music 24-7. I just, it was always a presence in my life. So I might do a Music Minds 1 record, and once it was recorded, it was a matter of preparing the music book, having it edited and printed and so forth and, and developed. I would simultaneously be doing jazz records. To where the, the jazz lines, is, there are two major lines in the city and classic jazz uh, are 130 titles today, separate CDs, with 10 others that are devoted to extraneous material. The three, Dick Hyman album is a, a recording of uh, Beatles at Shea Stadium, which was a recording of audience interviews at the Shea Stadium Beatles concert. None of their music is on the record, but Beatles fans felt that it was dropping a mic into a... A live history <laughs> place, and it, the record was very popular at one time. Okay, so you also did a recording with Theodore, who was around New York at the time, and went on to do dozens of, of air shots on. I, I, I'm trying to remember whether it was, it was uh, the uh, Carson show. He was on Carson's many times. The German uh, accented voice and macabre humor, and I recorded him. And it was also a popular record at its time. And then I did a, a Mae West and uh, Copley with uh, uh, W.C. Fields. These were recording. The, the, the Fields was recorded by Les Paul in Chicago, uh, of, all, of all people. Yeah. And the Mae West were early, early recordings that had become uh, been deleted. I picked them up and issued them as a second complimentary side to the record because Fields and West throughout their careers sort of played off each other. And that was a very successful recording. We, we, we sold 50,000 copies of that to Playboy magazine of all places. <laughs> I couldn't believe what. It's a one-inch ad, and we got 50,000 responses. This, that sort of thing doesn't happen today, but it was very, very heady stuff at the time. Right, that's, a, that's amazing. So your company offers all different styles of music, and now this is your 66th year? Yes. I have, in the last three years, sold pocket songs. As the interest in CDs has declined, I sold it to, to somebody who wanted the, the extraordinary library of about 15,000 songs I'd recorded for purposes of downloads and to put it into a karaoke machine being made in Denmark today, which offers you a, a library of 15 to 20,000 songs. And the person buying my library has never re-released any of the records, so the records are gone. I had them initially as cassettes, and it was an enormously successful line that went on uh, to being uh, pocket songs and a, a line called Just Tracks, which was just just exactly that, the, the accompaniment only without the example vocal. I had originally declined to do that, but someone in the industry, uh, Richard Turk of Colony Records, said it'll be successful, and it surely was when I got involved. Singers didn't want the complete version. They wanted to do their own thing and have more more on the record devoted to background tracks. So that was a, an accessory line. So I've been through the whole thing from 78 RPMs to, to cassettes to uh, CDs and, and vinyl records, and now we're offering the MMO line digitally as well as, as a catalog of recordings that you can buy. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. So please don't go anywhere. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Fine.
Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Three three two. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. Welcome back. I am speaking with Irv Kraka uh, from Music Minus One. And Irv, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about the different formats. You know, you had the L- the long play, the 78s, the LPs, the cassettes, the digital. Can you kind of go through a little bit about how the formats changed to st- from a historical perspective throughout the years? Well, the, the initial format was 78 RPM recordings, the earliest recordings, which date back to the 20s. They, they were, were finally replaced by uh, 12-inch vinyl eye recordings, and of course cassettes. Was, was a, there was a period in there where we, we also recorded our material on cassettes. We had literally hundreds of cassettes, and the public loved them. And they were ultimately phased out. They were, they were primarily on pocket songs. We, I don't think we did any music minus one on cassettes. I, my memory doesn't serve. But uh, after the cassette era, this vinylite era dawned, and that was uh, the next step for us to get into an area where we could put 40 to 50 minutes on, on, on both sides of a 12-inch vinylite recording. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, the compact disc was invented, and uh, we, we made the transition very rapidly and uh, continued uh, in, our, in our way with it with it. A CD, the single side of a CD will accommodate up to 78 minutes of music. Beyond that, it's a little bit touch and go, and your pressing plan will caution you about not expecting success beyond 78 minutes. We try and keep records at 75, 74 minutes in length. But that, of course, extends uh, to a degree the what you can put on a 12-inch vinyl record, which is approximately uh, 40 
38 minutes. Okay, I want to talk about... So it was a step forward. I, 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 at one point, met the inventor of the CD. He was working for Columbia Records. He was a cellist, of all things, and he was interested in the fact that I was using a vinyl light, and the, we, we met in my office, and unhappily, he was killed in an accident on the Merritt Parkway about a month later after I met him, because he had big plans to do things with Music Minus One on Columbia Records, which would have been something good for me, but it wasn't to be. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the recording process, because when you're recording uh, the music from Music Minus One with, with musicians, are they recording on separate tracks? In other words, you have a four-piece band. Are they each recording their parts separately, and then when you produce the recording, you can just pull out one track? And I'm not a technical person, so that's why I'm asking. No, it, the, the recordings were recorded on multi-track machines, initially eight, eight, eight channels, then 12, and then 16. And uh, if you isolated the particular instrument, you could do that. Often the use of multi-tracks was primarily to get a better balance within the group, and I'd often have the group play the, the same selection again right after performing it, minus the instrument that was to be omitted, because you couldn't easily uh, take a trumpet out of an ensemble. It, it would tend to echo and resound through the room and isolation was very difficult. They could put the player in a, in a booth, and then everything had to be uh, recorded with earphones. It was a little bit uh, uh, off-putting from the musician's standpoint. They, they preferred to be part of the ensemble. So I often recorded uh, uh, the minus versions as separate editions and endeavored to maintain the exact same tempo, which is not the easiest thing to do, but with professional music, musicians, it's pretty much something they can do. Uh, this, this was pretty much the way most music minus one recordings were, were done. They were recorded uh, without the, the uh, instrument and then recorded once again with the instrument. All right. How many recordings do you have? We have over a thousand today. That's for every instrument in the orchestra, all the way up to the harp. We have a harp concerto and some banjo recordings and uh, I think we had we had at one time a ukulele recording clip, which that was phased out after a while, uh, uh, maybe in the 60s, and then the ukulele came back at the end of the century and came, became very popular in this century, of all things. But we haven't pursued the ukulele minus ones at all. Okay. Now, for, for prospective you know, students that maybe want to practice, they can pick from, say, a selection of classical music or if they're practicing you know, standard classical or they can find something that's jazz where they can improvise. So there are different different ways for a musician to use the music. Yes. Well, we, we offer classical music. We offer all of the Mozart piano concertos. There must be over 25 of them. We offer the five major Beethoven concertos, and then we offer uh, concertos by Mendelssohn, Brook, uh, Schumann, Bach. We offer the Bach-Brandenburg Bach concertos, minus, minus uh, lead instruments. And they've proven very popular over the years to the point where other companies have come in and recorded the same repertoire, uh, doubling our uh, efforts, but with more, perhaps more modern recordings. All right, and I think Jeff... It's not been, it's not been a, a totally successful venture for many of them. There was a company in Italy that did an ex- amazingly good catalog using the Moscow Orchestra for about 80 pieces, and they, they fell on their face after about three years, and the company was sold to Hal Leonard. 
All right. And they, I, they produced excellent recordings for the, for the brief time they were on the scene. Gotcha. And I think Jeff Collins here in the studio has a question he wants to ask you. Hi, Irv. I was just wondering, have you made the shift from the CDs to the uh, digital media on the net? And if so, has it worked out for you? Well, at this point in time, we, we are offering the entire library digitally, and our sales are running at about 20% digital versus uh, 80% of the full recording. Uh, but the advantage of digital is that uh, it, 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 it's delivered within minutes of the purchase, and it's delivered to the furthest corners of the world without any uh, cost of transportation, any one or two week delays in getting there and no taxes at customs duties at the other end. They just arrive at your computer, you download it along with the music, we offer the printed music. So people are very happy with that. We offer it at a 15% discount from the original list price of the disc. It is the it's reason showing success. It's only been available that way for about a year and a half. Okay. But we're running at 20% of sales now, and I, we expect it to go higher. That's what I was going to say, because it's so uh, embryonic that you, you're only at 20%. Uh, and probably people don't realize yet that it is available, and once they do, I'm sure the, it'll reverse where the CDs well, will we drop. On our website, which is www.music1, there's a, a very large banner stating available digitally. And uh, we try and advertise it to the extent we can, and people are becoming aware of it. And since it, it's, it's run of the mill today to be able to buy almost everything digitally, yeah. you know, iTunes it operates totally digitally, uh, people feel that this catalog must be available digitally, so they come to us. Right. And some people want the product, they want it in their hands, they want it to put it on their piano uh, on, a, on a piano keyboard so they can read the music. But if, with today, rapid printers and downloading, you can print out a music book in maybe three minutes with, with a good printer. And it's there, and you have it, and you have it uh, 20 minutes after you decide to buy it. And it's amazing. You can reach all over the world in literally in a matter of minutes. And with today's technology, that stuff could be loaded right on some of the electronic instruments uh, through whether they're using an SD card or whatever, and they could play along with it wherever they go. It, it all fits in your pocket. It all fits into wherever you're going. No longer do you need a CD player or the cassette player. And it's, it's available for everybody who maybe thought at one time they couldn't do it or they couldn't afford it, and it is affordable. Well, we try and keep it affordable, and it's a terrific uh, item. Over the years, we, we've, we've sold our product, because of the longevity of the company, we've sold our product to fathers, their sons, and their sons, uh, grandsons, so to speak. And uh, it's a very, very great thing of pride for myself that I've, I've served music in this fashion. And in, in my lifetime, I've employed maybe 5,000 to more. I can't even keep track of the musicians I've employed. So I've become a very constant uh, employer of musicians, and music today is not, musicians are not being employed to that extent. There are bands, you can't find bands uh, performing as uh, they, they were in, when I was in my late teens and 20s. No, they, they have that a very short shelf life. Stop. Their, their shelf life is very short yes. in today's industry. It's something that your product has stood the test of time like you have stood the test of time. 90 right. years old and you're still in business and that I tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, let me ask you. We both know Saxon trumpet man Glenn Zatola. He's the one who connected us. So how, how did you meet Glenn? I don't remember the exact 
uh, way it occurred, but it came to my attention about three and a half years ago, and uh, I've since recorded, I think, 15 albums with Glenn of, of tremendous diversity. He happens to be one of the few players in jazz who doubles. He actually triples. He plays alto, tenor, and trumpet. His primary instrument is trumpet, but he does double on the other instruments. He, he's taught music at his mother's knee at the four and five. He'd be home learning the trumpet when, when all of his age-equivalent kids were outside playing. He'd be home playing. And when he got to school, he didn't understand why nobody knew what chords were or all the other good things in music. He won uh, an early, uh, I think it was Major Bose, I'm not sure, early uh, competition on, on TV and it was I think it's one of the major orchestra leaders wanted to take him on the road at 14 and his parents vetoed that but his parents were very unique they were both musicians his father not only played uh, but but designed a, a trumpet mouthpiece yeah. a mouthpiece which is has a worldwide reputation and they they also created a nightclub in, the, in their community and they brought musicians in from the city, and Glenn got to sit in with these people as well as his older brother, who's ten years his senior, also plays trumpet and is a very marvelous musician. Yeah, they so came. They're an extremely musical family, and uh, he, as I say, Glenn learned music at his mother's knee at a very, very early age. Right, he's I'm talking about four, five, six. He's amazing. He he came. He said, I think he came out of retirement to actually record for you. Yes, he did. He, 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 he had a unique experience. He was playing with a Bob Wooper band in Europe. He'd been touring with, with a, a group called the Bechet Legacy, which was Bob Wilbur's creation. And he, he, he had a, a daughter. He, he was not seeing much of her. He decided, uh, he, he told Bob, I've got to go back to the United States and, and give this up. And he did after a couple of years. It was very disappointing for Bob because finding a replacement was very difficult to me. Uh, Glenn knew the repertoire uh, backwards and forwards. He came back and, and and he had an occasion to be at a jam session where I'm trying to remember her name, Suzanne. Uh, oh, Suzanne Summers. He right. He told yeah, me that Suzanne story. Summers. She picked him. Was, she was singing and she asked him, "Would he be her band lead?" He said, "I don't do that. I play solos and I play with the bands." But she said, "No, no. You'll you'll have equal status with me." And uh, it'll be a job. And he said, okay, what can I lose? I'm here. I've got to make a living. Right. And it turned out to be a miracle, miraculous job. He was ensconced in an office at Universal Studios right next to Spielberg's office. And he said, when you, I needed reeds, there was a messenger standing by to run to the music store to bring back a, a bunch of reeds so I could test them. Right. And he says it was a wonderful, I think, eight or nine years that he worked with. I got tremendous uh, wages for doing so and uh, enabled him to retire very comfortably at that 66, 67. I, yeah, at, he, uh, he did okay. He did okay. He dealt in a little bit of real estate in California at a time when you could make money doing that. And he's been retired, but he became very restive. When I met him, he, he had nothing to do but sit around and read the papers and go out and have Aww. lavish lunches, and that was not, you, not a good thing. Yeah, you've so kept him... Uh, we took to each other, and when I, I heard him play, I, I just opened the floodgates and said, let's see what you want to do, and he, he did a series of incredible albums across many different instruments. He did a talker, a re retrospective with strings. He, he did a... Uh, Clifford Brown recording, which is I heard playing on yeah. your uh, between the, the 70s 
segments. He's just a marvelous improviser. He is. And, and Many I'm, cuts above the average player. Many cuts above the average player. He just he's he's phenomenal. Creative. Yeah, and Irv, I'm going to jump in here only because we're at the end of the show. I want to thank you so much for joining me and, and, and talking. I had a great time. I know Jeff and I both learned something new, and hopefully our listeners did too. I'm honored. Yes, he's honored. And if you would give out your website one more time or any information if someone would like to contact you. Sure. Well, uh, you can contact me at ikratka, I-K-R-A-T-K-A, at mmogroup.com, and I promise to answer. And the website is www.music-one.com. Thank you. The website is is a work of perhaps 20,000 hours of creation. It has all audio clips of over 9,000 recordings. You can hear 45 to 50 minutes, seconds, seconds sections of every piece on every record so it's a wondrous piece of work and it, it is visited by a thousand people every day thank you thank you so much I, I i truly appreciate you joining me today and join us again next week on the world of Lori zook thank you Lori. thank you Earl. suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664. 1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. 
Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Four three three two. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure.